0: You know she gets that from me. <laughs> I know that I'm all the time, she'll be at the house talking about what she's going to sing, and I probably a thousand times, I says, do you want me to sing with you? You know, Really, I just want to stand up here and let her do the singing, but anyway, that's true, Jesus will still be there, right? Amen? And all of us have gone through uh, or going through things that uh, we think we're alone, but, but we're not alone, are we? No, we're not. The Lord Jesus Christ is, is there, and we also know the church is there. The body of Christ is there. So it's a lie of the devil for us to think that we are alone, but uh, that, that we all go by feelings sometimes and how true that is. Your Bible's open. We're still talking about the family, but I want to start in Second Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I have another handout, and Brother Tim actually stayed for church today. So he's going to help us pass these out. I, that he didn't, you know, he wasn't skipping church last Sunday. Tim, Dale's coming to help you uh I don't necessarily use handouts all the time, but there's some information you can take home. This is just stuff I do want to read a little bit to you. Matter of fact, Tim, you've got to bring me one. I left my master on the on the desk. Uh, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where I want to start is is talking about the authority of God's Word. And uh, and if you and I uh, are not trusting God's Word when it comes to our family, and whether you're a family of one or a family of many, God's Word is supposed to have authority over our lives. I was thinking this week, before I read 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then I'll come back and read this little handout, and... Uh, and I'll tell you why. There's some information on here I, th- I think is important. But, you know, the, the, uh, the event of Samson and Delilah uh, in the book of Judges. Uh, wonderful story. Uh, great story that we can apply. Uh, but I don't know if you ever thought about this. You know the, the issue with uh, Samson was a, was a Nazarite. And Samson says he was a Nazarite from his mother's womb. Which meant that his parents dedicated him uh, to the Lord. And as a servant of the Lord with a Nazarite vow. The symbol that he had that would be a symbol to the Lord that he was committed to this covenant was that he would what? Not cut his hair. That was the outward symbol of his vow. And, and this vow, you know, he couldn't drink wine, which was a You know, there's certain things he could not do that everybody else could do, uh, a, a kind of a sign of, of purification. And so God blessed Samson with great strength. Uh, you know, he came at a time when, when uh, Israel was out, was without a judge, because it's in the book. And, but he, he helped hold Israel together and also protected the Israelites from the wickedness of the, of the Philistines. And, of course, Delilah... Kept asking him, you know. She would do things like get him to sleep in her lap. It's a long story. You can read several times. She would do that, and and she would ask, "What your strength? How does your strength come from?" And he'd say, "Well, how? Who can who can take your strength, or how do you lose your strength?" And he never would tell her that it was my hair until the end. He would say, "Well, if you bound me with two new ropes, I'd be I'd be just like any other man." So she would put him to sleep in her lap. And uh, then she would tie him up just like he said. And then she'd say, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he would snap the ropes and then he'd kill a bunch of Philistines. That's what he would do. You can read about it in Judges 6, I think. But the last time he told Delilah the source of his strength. He told her exactly. He told her about a covenant. And that this outward sign to the covenant is my hair. And if anybody cuts my hair, I will be just like any other man. And if you'll remember, for the fourth, fifth time, Delilah puts him to sleep, rocks him to sleep in her lap. I think about the devil doing us that way. The Bible says that. He can rock the world to sleep. She cuts his hair, or has people come in and cuts his hair, shaves his head off, and shaves his hair off. and Then... She says, shouts, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And y'all know the rest of the story. Samson jumps up and it says he did not know the strength of the Lord had left him. But he was weak and of course they take him captive and and uh, poke out his eyes and bind him with chains and make sport of him. And then they take him to uh, a, a coliseum and... and And they're going to make sport of him. And have him bound between two columns. And and then there's a Bible verse that says. This is God's grace. And it says. But the hair on his head. Began to grow again. Isn't that awesome? Forgiveness. Reconciliation. Restoration. And, And sometimes if you look at it. You can see the Christian life. Where many times the very things that. Or to make us strong. We surrender to the enemy. Or we don't even do. And I think the enemy sometimes pokes our eyes out and blinds us. And we don't see God's marvelous work. Or we don't want to be a part of God's marvelous work. But God can restore that. And I think that's so true. So true for the family. Now we're 2,000 years removed from when the Bible was written. And you have to take the Bible in context. And there was the, the Rome ruled. And so you think about, well, you know, our life today is so much harder than, than what life was in the first century. And there's a lot of that that's true. But there's a lot of that that's the same. The same struggles that families had 2,000 years ago are some of the same struggles that you and I have. The main difference is technology. Human nature's never changed. The sin nature's never changed. Temptations are common demand. That's what the Bible says. Our world is different because of technology. So I want to talk, i just going to read a little bit of this to you and just kind of help you understand how people were thinking in the early, uh, the first century about the church and, and even the secular world. There's two people I've picked just to give you a quote from them in, in some of their writings. Uh, biblical scholars note that there are numerous Bible passages that deal with home, sexual roles, and obviously, sexual activity, family life, and authority. They are known as household codes. That's surprising. Most people don't even know there are what scholars call household codes. There's really, they say there's three, but I picked four. You know, if you look at what, if you typed in a New Testament household codes, codes, they usually give you three passages. I picked four. So the four pa- and these are not the only passages in the Bible about family life, and sometimes the household life is not only the household that you have, but it's the household of faith. But the four passages, and we've read portions of all these: Titus two one through ten, uh, Ephesians five verse twenty two all the way through six nine, because chapter six deals with parents and children, and then workers or slaves in those days, bond servants to employees, uh, to employers. And so so it goes from Ephesians five twenty-two to Ephesians six nine. Colossians three twelve, which is mirrors a lot of Ephesians five, but Colossians three twelve all the way through Colossians four six, and then First Peter two, we have visited here before. First Peter two, it's this, uh, have the faith and like Sarah, it's the passage that deals with Sarah had faith and called you know Abraham Lord anyway so First um, Peter 2 verse 11 through chapter 3 verse 7 and you don't have to turn there but I, these are just so just know that these are passages that even in the first century into the second century people that studied the Bible know, knew these to some degree as household codes Jesus is the true Lord of social justice you know people talk about that is a hot topic and I'm not here to talk all about the early first century history, but it doesn't take you long when you're reading scholarly material that you find that Jesus was uh, the really was the true social justice king, because he went against all the all the normal uh, rules of of social activity uh, in his public ministry or even in his private ministry for that matter, but it's the public ministry that would set people's teeth on edge. His public ministry was primarily focused on the marginalized, and his miracles were, um, I think about this, you can read, um, here's an example, Uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, And we call that the kingdom manifesto. Really, it's how every Christian should live, the calling you and I to purity, being the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So it's calling us to purity, to be mourn and, and weep and, and, and be you know, be submissive. And so you have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. When you get to Matthew 8, and what does Jesus do? It says he comes down off the mountain, and who does he come in contact with? A leper. In public. I mean, this is, this is scandalous. And the leper comes to him and says, if you're willing, you can make me whole. Was the leper right? Yes, Jesus could make him whole. But Jesus didn't even have to be there to make him whole. Jesus could have said, go your way and be made well. But he didn't do that. Read it for yourself. You know what Jesus did? And this was scandalous. He reached out and touched him and said, be made whole. That's breaking social norms. Here was a marginalized man... uh, who was an outcast because of his leprosy. That, that's what Jesus did. So most of his ministry focused on the marginalized women and the poor and complete outcasts. Scholars recognize he broke down social barriers by teaching women publicly. And, and they even considered him as rabbi. Women were not supposed to be taught. And if they're not supposed to be taught like men, if you would not only taught them but taught them in public as a rabbi... It just was not acceptable for society. Early church history reveals that many congregations in the in the first century consisted of slaves, the poor, and women. Every true biblical church and all who make up the body welcome God's truth related to authority, to moral purity, and to Christ-centered household codes. So whether we're living in the first century or the 21st century, just as in the days of Christ, in the days of the early church, the book of Acts, we follow the scriptures. Whether we make decisions in the church family or our Christian homes, we want to know the words of Christ. We want to know the words of the apostles and we want to live accordingly. Now let's talk about just a little bit, tell you a little bit of the thinking of the first century in Rome, how Rome operated. Josephus and and Profound historian, and he was a contemporary of Christ, and obviously, if he was a contemporary of Christ, uh, he was a contemporary of the apostles. If you ever have a chance to buy the Book of Josephus, it's a history book, and it's the history of the Jews from a first century Jewish historian and uh, and in that he mentions Jesus a few times, but it gives you an idea of, of some of what he thought was important in Jewish history anyway. He was a first century Jewish historian, he noted. Here's just a quote out of the women. The women, says the law, Jewish law, he's a Jew, says the law is in all things inferior to the man. Now, we'll be honest, the inferior is not the best choice. Uh, We would say maybe submissive. Let her accordingly be submissive, not for humiliation, but that she may be led and directed. For the authority has been given by God to man, so in the Jewish world they they brought the Old Testament thinking into the new and into what we know as the in the New Testament era. So that's how the Jews were thinking. Uh, Philo, uh, another Jewish, uh, really he was a historian, but he was um, um, a poet and a philosopher. He uh, he was born twenty years before Jesus, but but. Well, obviously, we've been in somewhat of a contemporary, another Jewish person, the philosopher. Here's a quote from him. Wives must be in servitude to their husbands. A servitude not imposed by violent ill treatment, but promoting obedience in all things. Parents must have power over their children. And men, too, must have appropriate power. Though it went against popular opinion in the current culture, Jesus broke down barriers of every kind. And in Galatians 3, 27 and 28, now when I quote this verse, we're not saying that this, the passages of submission and obedience don't matter because they do. Those are household codes. So wives are still to be obedient, children still to be submissive. Wives to be submissive, children are to obey. You can't extract that. But what Paul was saying in Galatians is there, there's this mutual submission we all have because we've all been redeemed by the same power of Christ. And so that makes us equal. You know, and we know that Jesus said, the greatest among you will be what? Servant of all. Am I right? Is that not what Christ said? And he demonstrated that by doing what? The night before he was betrayed. He washed the disciples' feet. And he said... This example, and that's why it's not a we don't footwash every Sunday. It's an example I have left you that you do to one another just as I've done to you. So obviously a big role in the Christian life is we all live the life of a servant. Galatians three, twenty seven and twenty-eight says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, so everybody that is saved has put on Christ. It's an incredible thing to think about. If you're here today and you claim to be saved, when you were baptized in, in what's talking about it, when the Spirit of God and the work of Christ, when you were immersed in what God has done, right? When, when what God has done, when you were plunged into that crimson blood, so to speak, that crimson, when all that God did for you, when you accepted that and God plunged you and baptized you into what Christ had done, says at that moment you put on Christ. Oh my goodness. You put him on. So that means you represent him, but also he's with you everywhere you go. Um, I have to think about my marriage. I won't ask you about yours, I'll tell you about mine. Um, Does my marriage speak about Christ's love for his church? The Bible says it should. That my love for my wife, my leadership to my wife, my spiritual disciplines, my servant service to her, my demonstration of sacrifice should be like Christ was for the church. But every Christian marriage is, is to be an example of Christ's love for you and me and for the church. So we think about uh, putting on Christ and uh, living the life of Christ as a husband, as a wife, and as children. There is neither Jew or Greek, because you know there's a huge division culturally, the culture was. Uh, There is neither slave nor free. Again, big chasm between those two. There's neither male or female. And both in the Roman world, more so in the Roman world than the Jewish world, but there was this separation, you know, there was the males were the haves and the women were the have-nots. Jesus changed all that. Did he not? Did he not change all that? He, he, you just think about the, the woman from Samaria, early in the God's, God, I'm sorry, John's Gospel. I think it's John 4. He, he meets a woman at a well, a public well, at Jacob's well. And what does he do? Men didn't do this. What did he do? He spoke to a woman in public. That was taboo. So Jesus, you know, he tore down these walls of, between male and female. So, so in, in the mind of as all of us that are saved, I'm to serve Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The same power that saves a man is the same power that saved Jesus. So if Jesus was the true uh, social justice king, I need to know what Jesus says, don't I? Well, that's why we want to read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I'm picking up at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to pick up at verse Verse 10 main thing is going to be the last couple of verses of, of the chapter, but I just want to read it all. Um, you know, uh, just a thought. And again, these are just thoughts just to put in your mind to think about what the Scriptures teach. When we haven't really dealt with it verse by verse, but in Ephesians 5, which is the longest passage about submission and, and headship in, in, in the Bible... Um, do you know that Jesus mentioned a husband loving his wife twice before he ever mentioned him being the head of his wife? Now, let me, let me say that again. When you're reading Ephesians 5, it, he mentions the husband loving his wife like Christ loves the church twice before he ever mentioned to the husband as the head. So the first thing he says is husbands love your wives. He didn't say husbands because you're the head of your wife. No, the first thing he says was husbands love your wives. And he says it again before he mentions their responsibility as the head of the, the, head of the home. And as a matter of fact, six times in those, there's about nine or ten verses, six times he mentions to husbands to love your wives. So you know what husbands are supposed to do? Do you know what every wife in here should know? What should they know that their husband what more than anybody, more than anything, more than golf, more than absolutely everything outside of Jesus? I love Jesus more than I do my wife, but that 's the only thing I love, only person I love more than my wife Jesus uh, Diane didn't redeem me from my sins, Jesus did. he wins that so so my wife, Diane. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to myself. She, she should always know that my husband loves me. Now, just to flip the coin, she's not in here, but what's the one thing that I should know Dying does for me? No matter what, what should I know? Respect. Do you know that? Every passage that deals with the husband and wife, Paul says, and Peter says, that I should know that my wife respects me in the sense of the role that I play as a leader, as a head, that, that she respects that. And so I should know that my wife respects me as God's... Op- Listen, sometimes I don't act like a leader, right? Does that remove me from being a leader? No, I'm still a leader. I'm just a pathetic leader, right? So, but I'm still the head. I'm still you So she respects that no matter a fool I might make of myself or the bad decisions I might make. So God's word is, imp- is important. I just want to tell you. So you, however, I'm, I'm verse 10, have followed my teaching. He's talking about Timothy now. You followed my, my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions i endured yet from them all the lord rescued me indeed all who desire to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted let me read that again indeed this the way the grammar is in the new testament this is an optional it's saying all Greek word pasan all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived but as for you I mean, for us, the world is just absolutely out of control. False doctrine abounds. Ignorance, cultural stupidity, poor political leadership. And we just go on. But as for me, I'm different. But as for you, Paul says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. Primarily, he's talked about himself. He said, You've been following my. Look what he says. And how from childhood. Oh, my goodness. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I love that word sacred writings or sacred scriptures, sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What's going to make you wise? What's going to make you holy? It's going to be what you've done with God's Word. For Timothy, Paul's admitting, this isn't the only place he says it, that you are the man of God you are because as a child, your mama and your grandmama taught you the Bible. Right? Look at chapter 1. I'm still in Second Timothy. Look at chapter 1. He says, I am reminded, chapter 1, verse 5. I am, re- I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in, and in your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So obviously his dad's dead by this time or has left his mom. He was a Gentile. So Paul is reminding Timothy that from a child he has known, he has been acquainted with the Holy Scriptures. Is that not biblical? Does not the Bible tell us that parents are to teach their children the Scriptures? Am I right? Isn't that what Ephesians 6 talks about? Doesn't the Old Testament... We'll go there maybe before we finish today. The Shema, this, this passage in Deuteronomy. Well, since I'm talking about it, let's just go there. Go to Deuteronomy. That, that's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now don't take me to the minor prophets, I'll get them messed up, but I can nail Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy every time. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is so important, folks. So, so important. Now this is Hebrew, this Shema, this, is, this, this statement about parental responsibilities and home life. Um, he's, there, he's telling them about going into to the promised land, how their home life should be. Okay? Um, verse 4 starts, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You hear that is quoted by Jesus. uh, The greatest commandment. Jesus talks about that. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now Jesus didn't abolish God's word. He fulfilled it, right? So... These are truths that are still true for, for even though it's Jewish families who learn God's law. This is still true for how God wants His families to, to raise their children. You shall teach. These words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them. Now folks, this is where life is different. The culture that we're in is different from this culture they were in. Um, you know, agricultural, you know, the farming and nomadic to some degree. So, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So that's, every time you're with your children, you are giving biblical instructions. You're talking about God's Word. You're sharing God's Word. You shall bind them as signs, and you still see this today in Israel sometimes, especially the rabbis. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, little, and you shall be frontlets uh, between your eyes. And sometimes it'll be like a little box or a little... A little thing taped here to their forehead. So you shall... That doesn't mean we have to do that. The culture's changed. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Put, you know, like Joshua, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. So it makes you wonder, did Joshua put that on his house? As As for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Did he put that... I don't know. But it says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house, And on your gates. Now, and when the Lord, now look what he says. You can stop there, but the story doesn't end there. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. So he said, one day you're going to inherit the promised land, and you're inheriting a land. That is already mature. You're getting houses and farms. The enemy, we're pushing. I'm going to run the enemy out, and you're going to inherit all of this wealth, all these creature comforts, and and even in their world, you might say even this materialism. You're going to have all these material goods that you didn't have. You've been wandering in the desert, so. What can happen if you don't know God's word and you start having all these material things? Let me tell you what can happen. You leave the God of your childhood. You just leave. Because nobody has put it on the door, talked of it in the bedroom, at the kitchen table. When you get up in the morning, they haven't talked about it. So you just, you just leave. Look what he says. And then it just says, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who you are around you. So they'll possess land. Some of, the, some of the population will still be scattered about. You're not to worship their false gods. Folks, this is what the New Testament, when the Bible says in 1 uh, Corinthians, come out from among them and be you separate. This is what Paul was talking about. We, we are different from the world. This is what Romans 12 is all about. Do not be conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't be like the world because they have a different God. Am I right? We can't be like them. And if we do, we're going to forget. And if we're forgetting the God that saved us, our children are going to forget Him. But folks, the only way we're going to remember Him is by His Word. Not by good deeds, not by coming to church twice a month. We're going to remember him because we know his word. Well, time will not permit me to finish that, but go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So he says, and from childhood, and then he gets from childhood to know the Holy Scriptures, sacred writings, which are able to make you wise. How many in here would... I mean, if we took a little survey, I'm running out of time. I'm... But... If we took a, a survey and we were to say, I'm going to give you a piece of paper and I'm going to put ten names. I want you to write down ten names of people that you believe are uh, wise unto salvation. I want you to write their names down. I mean, don't do it now. I'm not asking you to do it. But what wonder if I asked you to flip that over and write down ten people that are in here right now that you would say are wise unto salvation. Would you even write your own name? Who, Who's what... People, there's a lot of us that are not wise into salvation. Theologically, we couldn't find our way out of a wet paper bag. And if we don't know it, what are we not teaching our kids when we're at the house? What answers are we giving them? Most of the time, the answers we give our kids are a blend between our opinions and prostituted scripture. That's what we'll do. And if you blend those things together, you graft those together, you're going to produce something that's wild. It's God's Word and God's Word alone that has the authority. It's not your opinion. It's not how your parents did it. Your parents aren't infallible. They're wicked sinners just like you are what matters is god's word and that's what we want to be committed to we want to and so that's why here after he mentions about his childhood he reminds Timothy of the authority of god's word and how and he says all, how from childhood all scripture verse 16 and 17 all scripture is breathed out by god i've gone over that numerous times it's more than inspiration it's saying that God exhaled through the Bible writers. It's, it's the word God and a pneuma, Pneumatic. I always use that illustration. A pneumatic tool, the power is in the air that pushes it. God spoke through men. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But that's what we're supposed to be doing with it. You know, sometimes when we get mad at our children or even our grandchildren, I do this. I, I'm as guilty as anybody. You correct them, but we, if it's a Bible issue, if it's a sin issue, you need to correct them biblically. You know, the Bible says do not lie, whatever. You, 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 one thing is to get on them. Another thing is to take God's word and correct people. And that's true for all of us. We're all children, am I right? We're all children of God. So every day, every moment of every day, we're all under the authority of God's word, needing to be corrected, because we're all children. So God's word is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every for every good work. Now, I, I, I'm i going to be out of time, so I'm not even going to try to get through all this, but I want to show you something that's uh, that to me is profound. Go back to verse 15. We'll just take this. And I just want to show you how precious God's Word is. I want you to look at verse, uh, and it says, and how from childhood uh, you have have known the Holy Scriptures. I want you to flip over to uh, childhood. The word that that the Bible says is childhood. I want want to show you something about this one. So Paul says that, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. What does he mean by from childhood? Well, I'll tell you what he meant. He meant from birth. To whatever age a child is, you have known the Holy Spirit. Take your Bibles and go to Luke's Gospel. We'll finish with this. Go to Luke chapter Luke chapter one. Okay, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And again, I want you to see the significance of God's Word. Now, this is going to serve two purposes. Last month we did Sanctity of Human Life was one of our Sundays. We talked about the Sanctity of Human Life. We 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 oppose abortion. Um, Abortion's wrong. God authors life. The Bible's clear about that. And I'm going to show you again, just if you know the scriptures, you know that even in these, these narrative passages, the Bible is uh, is talking about the sacredness of every human life. Just in, in narratives of like the life of Christ and the birth of Christ. But uh, with your Bibles open to uh, Luke chapter 1, and uh, look at verse... Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 40, 41. You know, it says, verse 39 In those days Mary arose and went and see her, you know, her cousin. Uh, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, the baby, that is the same word for child in 2 Timothy 3. Okay? Child. So the same word that the Bible uses for a child that might maybe Paul was thinking about when, she, when Timothy was three to ten. Whatever. He was a child. It's the same word as a baby. So what does it say about a baby in the womb? What does it say? It's the same thing as a what? A grown child. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that not a passage that just passes by that's the sanctity of human life? It's just a narrative. But is it not... So did God consider a baby a child? Yes. And He even says so in His Word. Look at verse 44. For behold, the testimony of the mom says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the, it's the word brephos, the brephos uh, leaped for joy. So here in Luke 1, the word brephos is just a little baby. Now go to Luke 2. Luke chapter 2. I have to turn one page in my Bible. Look at verse uh, 10. This is where the shepherds are in the field. Okay. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you this, unto you is born this day... In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby, a brephos. He's alive now, right? 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 But it's the same word as as John was when he was in the womb. Same word. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Look at verse uh, 16. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Same word. Lying in a manger. Uh, 1, Peter, 1 Peter 2 says, As newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. First Peter 2, 2. Same word. Babes is brephos. But in Second Timothy, Paul uses it for a child. Could have been he could have been thinking about Timothy when he or, well, speaking speaking, from birth on. But the, but point in in Paul's mind, he was thinking of Timothy as a child. But it's the same word as brephos. So in the mind of God and in the word of God, a baby in the womb is as important as a child that may be ten years of age. That baby in the womb is a child. He just hasn't had enough nourishment to get there yet. Are you with me? And he's God's child. So just in passing, this is one reason why you want grammar matters. Language matters. The the Greek New Testament matters. We talked about that. Why at the right time God sent Christ. It was when when the Greek language was going to be the primary text when these apostles would write. And these words are specific. Well, folks, I'm 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 out of time. Uh, I wrote this. I'll just uh, you can stand with me. Let's stand together. Uh, I wrote down uh, in the bottom of my notes right here. It says. Now I want you to think about just all that we've talked about, and I, this was the introduction. So I'll do the meat of the text next week. Uh, I wrote down here, it says, now think about this. It says, culture, culture will set the pace of life if you let it. So you go back to the Shema and it says that when are the opportunities that we have to share the Word of God with our children? When? Anytime we're at the house or we're with them. We can share biblical truth. Now, I'm not talking about bringing the Ten Commandments in lecture and lecturing every." every Every moment of every second. The point is, every, every time you're with your child, you have an opportunity to teach biblical truth. But the culture says TV, cell phone, internet, with me? Culture says different. But if our children are going to be raised, if we're going to raise more Timothy's, what do they have to have? God's Word. That's where it starts. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the word. We thank you for truth. And Father, we thank you that that we have the privilege of passing sacred scriptures on. Father, not only to, to our children, but we can pass it on to other believers where they too can grow in their faith and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help our church. Help this church. Lord, help my church love and teach Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. See you uh, this afternoon for choir practice.